welcome to another edition of the Unicorns Podcast. This is a podcast series featuring business leaders, motivators, innovators, and general go-getters. Craig Cowdery, CEO and founder of Sonda, welcome to the Unicorns. Hi, Justin. Thanks so much for having me. Let's get started. Tell us about your professional background and how you came to be the CEO of Sonda. Well, I've gone through a couple of different careers, I suppose, which is not uncommon these days. Uh, I started off um, my working life out of university as a corporate lawyer working for Clayton Newts uh, in Perth. Um, During university and my time working as a corporate lawyer, I I served in the Army Reserve as well. And it was Mm -hmm. really uh, a deployment to the South Pacific, a peacekeeping deployment with the military that was then the catalyst for a career change out of being a corporate lawyer. I then moved into uh, diplomacy. I joined the Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade. I was there for about six, seven years. And and whilst they're lucky enough to be uh, working across a range of issues, um, including United Nations Security Council issues, as well as a long-term posting to Hong Kong. Um, During that time, I became friends over the years with my two co-founders, Pete Bernheim and and Christopher Ma. those guys served nearly 20 years in the Australian Army, predominantly as Special Forces commanders. Mm-hmm. And, and really over the years, I suppose our conversations developed from you know being over a, a beer and a, and a steak about doing something together to become quite serious around 2014, 2015. And we really developed a concept um, for what then became Sonder. Um, we started the business in 2016 and launched our service in early 2017. So what is Sonder? So we really started the business um, with a vision that we still have today, which is to create what we call a global support network to get help by a member's side anywhere on the planet within 20 minutes. And really by utilising what we identified as spare capacity in the community amongst ex and off-duty emergency services officers, mainly police, and to make them available around the clock, on demand, across the country and eventually across the world to help our membership side with a range of safety, medical and mental health issues. So that was a vision that we, that we started with. And if I could describe what we've become now, uh, we are a business-to-business technology platform and a nationwide response network uh, consisting, as I say, of uh, emergency services personnel. So we, we don't operate direct to consumer. We work with large universities and large uh, enterprise outfits uh, to help take care of their people. Um, we are unique. We are the only one of our kind in the world. Uh, and really, we provide that 24-7 safety, medical and mental health support. Um, to our customers that enables their people to get immediate trusted assistance via our mobile app, over the phone and in person. It's a cool name. Where did the name Sonder come from? Thank you. Uh, we, unfortunately, we can't claim to have come up with the name. Uh, the word was actually invented uh, a few years ago now uh, by a gentleman who does such things. Um, it's, a, it's a noun and the definition of the word Sonder is uh, having the realisation that every random passerby is living a life as vivid and complex as your own. So it's essentially about empathy. You know, that really resonated to my co-founders and I at a personal level. And then it made a lot of sense for our business as well. Ultimately, our company is, is about uh, connecting those people who need help with those who can help um, across, as I say, safety, medical and mental health. So that word really made sense for us, you know, understanding what our users need and you know, then being able to provide rapid support to help them is essential to us providing a good user experience and ultimately having a good business. Um, so we're really proud of the name and, and it means a lot to us. It's our, actually our number one value 
internally as well, and that's about empathy, understanding uh, your colleagues, understanding our customers, um, the whole lot. Was it a big um, leap of faith for you leaving uh, a corporate career, a diplomatic career, to dive into the great unknown and, and start something from scratch? In some respects, it was a difficult decision because I was very much enjoying my role as a diplomat. I, I was fortunate to have a, a good career and, and some good prospects ahead of me. But in other ways, it was the simplest decision of my life because I knew I really wanted to do it. I knew I wanted to to go and build something myself and to do it with two good mates who I trusted uh, implicitly. Um, and there was no better time to do it. We were all mid-30s. Um, we had we joke uh, starting a company at 35 instead of 25 means that you have a bit of money behind you to start a company, which is good. But being yeah. public servants means we didn't have a lot. Um, so, you know, it was uh, definitely a leap of faith in that respect. And certainly for my co-founders who, who have partners and children, um, you know, high level of, of, of risk um, in terms of putting our whole life savings into it. Uh, but it really made sure that we were um, pursuing it with everything we had and and ultimately we deliberately put ourselves in a position where we had no choice but to succeed because everything was on the line um, so it meant that when it came to a, a Friday night at 2am you know when we would just keep working because we knew we had to um, and so in that respect it was it was a simple decision um, because I knew I didn't want to um, you know get to later in life and regret not having given it a yeah. shot. Can you provide us with a sense of the scale of the operation? What's what's the size of the team? Where you operate from? You said mm-hmm. it's it's a one of a kind. Uh, can I presume that Australia is uh, not the only market? That's right. We actually launched into New Zealand uh, earlier this year. Now operating across Australia and New Zealand, uh, we're headquartered in Sydney, where we have about uh, seventy five full time staff. We then have uh, full-time staff around the country and in major cities who operate as, as regional managers helping to coordinate um, the responder network that we have. Um, we have many hundreds of people in our responder network and essentially right now our capability is to be able to get help by a member side within 20 minutes across 90% of Australia's population and across major cities in New Zealand as well. Um, that is uh, a powerful and compelling proposition to be able to add to our customers' existing uh, capabilities uh, when it comes to taking care of their people. That's an enormous geographical footprint to try to cover. It is. It is. We're, we're a massive country, of course. We're very uh, spread out um, in many respects. Uh, but at the same time, we do have uh, most of our population densely around the coast and mm, yeah. um, in major cities. And, and that's what gives us that ability to get such extensive coverage. Uh, it's certainly not been an easy undertaking to establish that network. But now that it is up and running, it becomes largely self-fulfilling. So can you give us an example, a practical example of, say, how how Sonda, how the app actually works? So it starts with the app, and that's what's in the member's hand. Uh, there's a number of what we would call preventative safety tools on the app. For example, Track My Journey. So this is a feature that allows, uh, say, a student walking home late at night or perhaps it's a corporate employee who's moving to a client location to track that journey using the app similar in a similar way to any sort of mapping feature would. But what it's doing in addition to helping navigate to that location is actually monitoring their safety and progress. If the technology detects that they move off course, if they stop for too long, then we receive an alert in our 24-7 operations centre in Sydney. We will then seek to contact the member and if we can't get hold of them then we will send either the emergency services or we will 
deploy one of our own people to investigate further. So that's a, that's a powerful tool that's used you know, many times a day by our 150,000 plus members um, around the country and, and in New Zealand. Um, we also have uh, the ability to send what we call geofence alerts. So we are constantly monitoring the environment in our operations center, looking for any sort of incident uh, that could affect the safety or well-being of our members. If we detect that something is occurring near them, then we will send them an alert straight to their phone, telling them about it and, and uh, providing them the information they need to make um, the right decisions to be safe and well. Now, if it's a, quite a serious incident, uh, for example, uh, a terrorist attack, you know, a major crime, major police operation, then we will send them a message about it, but also require them to report whether they are safe or not safe. And if we do not hear from them, or of course, if they say not safe, then we'll take the appropriate rapid action to ensure their safety and well-being. So over the last five years, would you have some examples of, of how your app has actually physically essentially come to the rescue of, of people? Absolutely. I mean, we have a number of examples around the feature of Track My Journey where we've detected that somebody is not safe whilst moving from location A to location B, for example, walking home from uh, the university library to the dormitory. In terms of the geofence alert system that we have called safety notifications, the most notable incidents in the last couple of years in Australia have been uh, with respect to the, the Flinders Street ramming and, and Burke Street ramming mm, in, um, yes. in Melbourne. So in that those circumstances, we were able to immediately geofence the entire Melbourne CBD, which means that we essentially identify all members who are active in that location, and we had hundreds at the time. We then send them an alert, uh, then able to notify them what's happening and see in real time on our mapping system these people moving away from the incident and making sure that they're safe. We had a number of members that we couldn't um, contact at that time, so we were able to deploy uh, some of the, our responders on the ground to the hospitals where we knew the injured were being taken and unfortunately uh, fatalities. And they were able to ascertain rapidly whether or not our members were included in those lists. Uh, once we identified that they were not, then we had the peace of mind that they were safe uh, and we were able to report that back to the customers uh, that those members belong to. So from where your business was when you first launched with a couple of mates and an idea to where you are now, how has it changed? Well, we first started uh, with just the three of us uh, and then started to add some staff in early 2017. And at that time, we were actually operating a direct-to-consumer model. We were mm -hmm. attempting to sell our service retail uh, to international students inbound into Australia, which we knew was a massive pain point. But we actually quickly realised that there was, there was a, an enterprise-level pain point uh, with respect to duty of care over employees, and that this was being accelerated due to people working remotely more and more, and this was creating an issue for employers. So we realized that our solution, 24-7 you know, preventative and uh, responsive support across safety, medical, and mental health, would be a powerful solution to allow employers to really take care of their people no matter where they were, uh, including in their home, uh, moving between um, client sites, um, and so on. So picking up on that, uh, can you tell us about some of the customers that you're working with? Well, we work in the education space with uh, a number of major corporates and universities, uh, including uh, Allianz Insurance, uh, Monash University, University of Queensland, other major schools, uh, Kaplan Business School uh, around Australia, Up Education um, in New Zealand. In the enterprise space, uh, we're working with a number of, of large corporates, uh, including Commonwealth Bank, 
um, advanced personnel management, a number of others, um, and in the process now of completing uh, significant um, pilots uh, with large corporate customers, which has really been accelerated uh, through the pandemic that we've been facing this year. Well, picking up on that, obviously there has been a national discussion around an employer's duty of care outside the immediate workplace. A lot of people now, most people now working from home. How important is it for employers to recognise their role in keeping their staff safe at all times? Well, employers have a have a strong duty of care to ensure that they provide a, a safe uh, workplace for their employees. Now, traditionally, that was more straightforward as employees worked within the four walls of a, a brick and mortar office. But for companies that were already operating uh, mobile workforces, for example, consultants, uh, you know, infield telecommunications technicians, they were already having to put in place systems to ensure the safety of those people. Yeah. Uh, what we've seen now, uh, even prior to COVID, was an increasing um, uh, willingness of employers to allow their staff to work from their home or to work remotely from another location, even if their job didn't require it. So a graphic designer, software engineer, they could still work from home. Now, when that occurs, that does not diminish the employer's legal um, or moral, frankly, uh, duty of care to take care of that person, but there was no real solution to deal with it. So that's how we've been able to really uh, integrate with um, complement existing processes and systems of these organisations to make sure that they can now take care of their people in this new environment. And I can, I can see the attraction for corporates and enterprise big businesses where your technology allows uh, them to provide that extra layer of um, safety and security um, for their staff. That's right. I mean, you know, it, it, is a, it is a difficult situation that these employers have been put in. They're, of course, also concerned about the productivity of their staff and making sure that they're, they're, they're contributing as they need to to their role, to the, to the business. But the legal duty of care is only getting stronger as well. There was a recent decision in the New South Wales jurisdiction that saw an employer held responsible for the death of an employee whilst working from home. Um, and that death had nothing directly to do with what the employer had done. But the employer had not put many measures in place to ensure that that person was going to be um, at some level of safety uh, that, Sonda has been able to provide for other clients. So um, it is an area that is in, already increasing. COVID's just sought to sort of accelerate that thematic uh, trend domestically and internationally. You recently released some research that revealed over, I think it was 40% of female working professionals had felt unsafe in their workplace. Can you tell us a little more about this research? Sure. Well, I think it's fair to say that there's a lot of anecdotal evidence that that women in particular face issues of uh, harassment, um, you know, issues of safety in the workplace. We wanted to dive into it a bit deeper and put some numbers behind what we all knew intuitively to be the case. Um, so we found that 40% of female professional consultants diving into that particular industry have often been exposed to situations in their workplace that make them feel unsafe. So often this is not infrequently, it's, it's something that occurs all too regularly. And almost one in three women reported feeling uncomfortable when working offsite at a client's office away from their usual work environment with a bunch of new people um, yeah. and, and feeling quite intimidated. Now, um, there's been a, 
a lot of research done uh, by other organizations, including the ABS, um, around personal safety. Uh, recently, a survey there found that it was 38% of women, um, as opposed to 16% of men aged between 18 and 24, had experienced sexual harassment in the last 12 months. Uh, one in six women, um, as opposed to one in 15 men, had experienced an episode of stalking since the age of 15. Back to our research, we also found that one in four women frequently leave work after dark, um, and that creates feelings of anxiety and stress uh, around personal safety when moving uh, on public transport, when uh, taking a taxi or an Uber, uh, when um, you know, walking and so on. So if you look at the situation we're in now with uh, a global health pandemic, COVID-19 and whatnot, how has um, uh, this situation affected uh, your business? Well, in a number of ways, uh, we were already um, essentially tackling the problems around remote work, uh, mobile work in the enterprise sector, as well as um, harassment uh, and safety issues amongst students, uh, schools and universities. COVID in many respects has accelerated those trends. Um, and in particular, it's drawn out the mental health issues. Um, over 90% of our support cases since COVID commenced have been relate, related to mental health. That's a 40% increase. Mm-hmm. We're seeing that people are you know, feeling isolated, physically isolated, they're feeling lonely, anxious, um, often under financial stress. Uh, it puts relationship pressure in play. There's a lot of uncertainty about whether they will be able to find work if they're out of work or just even what work will look like. You know, how do we move around cities now safely? You know, how do we get into our office building safely? Um, all of these all of these questions is creating a lot of anxiety and stress. And what we're able to do is provide really a level of, in the first instance, preventative care, so information and tools um, through our app, um, through our support centre to make sure that people um, have the most information, accurate information possible and, and feel that they're supported. And then if something were to escalate to a level of mental health um, um, stress that was to become dangerous to that individual or to someone else, then we are able to respond and, and provide support directly to the person to make sure that they can get the help they need and get back on their feet. And have you been able to break it down just on mental health, whether it's uh, more men or more women or it's 50-50s using, using the app uh, for some mental health concerns? It is uh, slightly more uh, females than males, but it's a fairly even split uh, once you incorporate all age groups. Um, these are issues that nobody is immune from. Um, everybody is, is in this situation together, uh, and so it's impacting everyone uh, across society, uh, old, young, male, female, um, which is why we ensure that our service is there for all of these different groups um, so that we can provide people the support they need um, to get on and be happy and, and you know, pursue their lives with the confidence that they want to have. Now, I understand that Sonda has a dedicated domestic violence and family sector within the company. What does this part of the business focus on? Well, we realise that there are a number of vulnerable groups in society that could um, benefit from the levels of support that we provide across safety uh, medical and mental health. Uh, certainly, uh, there are arguably no more vulnerable groups than those people that fall victim to domestic violence. 
So what we have been able to do is essentially uh, wrap our arms around these people, provide them a level of um, support and preventative uh, information and tools to make sure that they can stay safe uh, from um, people who might wish to do them harm. We also then provide a rapid uh, response capability should they feel unsafe or should something occur where they need assistance. Uh, we're very proud of the work that we've been able to do in that sector uh, and the partners that we've been able to support. Uh, and it is something that we're going to increasingly be looking at across the country going forward. There's been a lot of talk, particularly during COVID, around the future of work and what that looks like, how we work, where we work. What are your thoughts on what the future might look like? Well, certainly for the remainder of 2020 and into 2021, uh, there's going to be high levels of remote work. None of us know when that's going to end. But what COVID has done is, is simply accelerate a trend that was already occurring in the world, and that was the flexibility of people working away from the traditional office. Uh, we know that people have done that for their job, uh, infield technicians, uh, consultants, and so on. But now that people are able to work flexibly using various technology solutions um, and different processes companies are able to put in place, there are people that weren't required to work remotely or away from the office are now doing so anyway for, for lifestyle reasons, for work-life balance and so on. Now, COVID has accelerated that process. When COVID uh, concludes, when we have a vaccine, when we're able to come out of it and, and choose the way that we uh, work and live as opposed to the um, under these conditions at a mandatory level, our, our view is that the world will settle into a, a hybrid um, whereby people still come together uh, physically in order to work on uh, group projects, in order to build you know, culture and rapport amongst teams and especially people that don't usually work together, but that there will be an increasing amount of, of work from home and, and, in fact, work from travel as well. Uh, because this is a positive, I think, if we can draw one from what's been occurring in COVID, is a realisation that people can still be productive, they can still contribute uh, not physically being in the office. So we think it'll be a, a hybrid mix. Uh, where those percentages lay, um, there's there's no uh, good way to tell. And some experts, uh, for example, at Atlassian, consider that people will probably settle on about 20% of their time in the office if they could choose and 80% at home or, or somewhere else, so one day a week. Um, that's probably uh, about right. We would think maybe 20 to, to 40% at the office and the remainder at home. So you've launched in um, New Zealand. You're, you've got great coverage around Australia. Are there any other international markets, notwithstanding what we're dealing with at the moment, that, uh, that you're looking at? Absolutely. We intend to expand internationally. Uh, we, our expansion plans into the Northern Hemisphere were going to commence this year uh, with North America and Western Europe. Uh, with the international border closure due to COVID, that has uh, delayed our, yeah. our efforts to get into those countries, which is particularly frustrating because we know that our service um, is needed now uh, more than ever in those places, uh, but you know, we can only do what we can do. So we are optimistic that we will be able to expand um, next year uh, to some level in countries in those, those places. So, Craig, what's your advice then to others who might have uh, a professional uh, background, such as yourself, you were doing law, you're a diplomat, but are thinking about branching out into doing something different, venturing into 
uh, a startup, uh, a tech play, something else? Do you do you have any uh, pearls of wisdom for them? Well, firstly, I think this is just such a fantastic time to be starting a venture on your own from the ground up. You know, never before has there been the level of access to, to capital um, and to advice and assistance that there is now. Uh, Australia is, is coming a long way um, in building our technology ecosystem. It's led by uh, massive technology companies like Atlassian, uh, Canva in the earlier stage startup space. That's really creating a, a level of momentum um, that others can now uh, take advantage of. My more specific suggestions uh, or advice would be to find find a problem that you're passionate about solving. Um, you need to start with the pain point and the problem uh, that you can solve. And then uh, my other advice uh, would be to to find co-founders to do it with. Um, I, I'm very fortunate to have two co-founders. Uh, we all trust each other uh, implicitly. We all rely on each other. Um, it is a hard endeavor. Uh, it's not as glamorous as, as it may seem from the outside. Uh, um, it's a lot of long hours. So that is why you need that passion to get you through those, those tough periods. And that is why you, you need those great people around you to rely on each other and support each other uh, through your, your efforts to solve that pain point, build a company and then scale it. There, there's no shortage now of, of uh, incubators and accelerators uh, in Sydney and, and in other places around Australia to support you in that endeavour. So if you have a passion, um, if you see a pain point that needs solving in the world, uh, then get into it and ideally uh, have, some, have some good friends and colleagues to go along with you. Sounds like great advice. Craig Cowdery, CEO and co-founder of Sonder, thanks for joining us on The Unicorns today. Thanks, Justin. My pleasure. Thanks for having me.